0: Hi and welcome to Leading with Style, a podcast about how fashion can unlock your style, ignite your confidence and bring you more success in your fabulous life. My name is Libby Allaway and for over three decades, I've loved working in the worlds of fashion and business. I'm a personal stylist, business mentor, public speaker, TV presenter, author, and most particularly, I'm on a mission to bring increased confidence to women through the transformative power of fashion and reconnecting you with the most important person in the room, you. You'll hear my personal style advice and hear from incredible women in leadership about how they rose to the top, stood out from the rest, and created success through Leading with Style. I'm so glad you've joined me. Let's get started. Well, hello, everybody, and I am really excited today to be joined by Paul Greenberg, who is an independent director, chair, and psychologist, and we are going to be talking about whether kindness, courtesy, manners, and empathy are taking a back seat in the workplace. For me, it certainly seems like that, so I'm really excited to hear Paul's insights into this. So Paul has had over 40 years of commerce experience, mainly in entrepreneurial endeavors in and around retail and retail tech. He has had a portfolio career, including directorships at Woolworths, Market Plus, In-Situ and JamPad Investments. He also sits on a number of retail tech advisory boards. Paul was the founder of the National Online Retailers Association 10 years ago and is now non-executive as ceremonial chair. He also is the vice chair of the Federation of International Retail Associations and other industry specific honorariums. He's a registered psychologist with a keen interest in organizational psychology and a member of the Australian Psychological Society. So, Paul, with all that going on, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me, Libby. When you read that all out, I said, I'd love to meet this guy. Yeah, it so, sounds no, really nothing. good when you read your no. bio.
0: It was very Yeah, no, Thank it was you. really Thank good. You. And, Paul, this interview came about because of a fantastic, what I thought was a very insightful post that you wrote on LinkedIn about the approach and the process of the senators at the Parliamentary Inquiry on Kelly bayer Rosemarin, And whilst today isn't an interview about Optus, Kelly, all the actual inquiry, I just was prompted to chat with you to get some, uh, you know, the, the psychological background and your experience on what your views are that you outlined on your LinkedIn post about how we as a community are changing the way, or it seems to be, the way we're treating people, and especially those in public office, and also how, as a society, in your professional opinion, how can we increase our levels of kindness, professional courtesy, and empathy? So, uh, if we can, let's have a start and look at the current landscape and what that looks like to you, because you've been in business for such a long time. Um, do you feel that there is a big, there's a big, shift in the level of kindness? and courtesy within the workplace and media as well?
1: Yeah, well, thanks so much for the opportunity to chat. I mean, this is something clearly close to your heart and my heart. And by the way, I was quite startled, you know, that that LinkedIn post, which is a bit personal, I was very unsettled by the whole process, has got well over 300,000 views. And I've had many, many, um, many, many emails, um, obviously, hundreds and hundreds of comments. And so I think it's, you know, as you say, this is not about Optus. This is not about Kelly.
0: You can just share with us what you think. You've been in business for a while. Do you think that um, there is a reduction in kindness and courtesy in the workplace?
1: Well, I think if we agree that there is, and I do think we're living in fairly brittle times, then I think it is uh, important that we sort of unpack what the reasons might be. Absolutely. Um, so I think there is a sense. Uh, and, uh, you know, that piece uh, that I wrote about the, the Parliamentary Inquiry in Kelly so I unlocked a lot of conversation um, and a lot of feedback. I often find the feedback in articles, uh, you know, the um, the feedback from from readers is often just as important at the piece as the piece itself. And um, you know, overwhelmingly, there was support for this view that I'd put forward that we do need to find our humanity, our humanness in business, even though business can be rough and tough. But I think there was also a view put across in some of the commentary that you know, we need to toughen up and as executives, uh, we need to, you know, take accountability, you know, we need to, uh, accept responsibility. And, uh, you know, my sense is, again, there's so much to talk about. Yes, you'll have to guide me, uh, <laughs> that if I don't, I don't go over, uh, you know, off track cause I'm known to do that. Um, my sense is those two points are actually a bit mutually exclusive. I'm all for responsibility and accountability, but I'm also for humanness. And you know, kindness um, is, is is a broad term, but it's just a little bit more attunement to we're all human, uh, errors happen. Um, how we treat each other in these these difficult moments, I think, define us, and um, will define society in the future. So this is a real call to conversation. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's I think it's such an important issue that we're dealing with, and we'll get to twenty twenty four in a minute. But so. Yeah. If this is happening, what is it? What are the psychological factors that have caused this to happen or the societal factors that have caused this stress and somewhat anger within the workplace that people have stopped being human to one another? What has caused
1: it? I mean, that is the question. And I, you know, as you mentioned so kindly, I've been a registered psychologist in Australia for close on three decades. I mean, I don't practice um, as a a clinical psychologist or as a therapist, but I certainly, you know, wear my shrinks hat, if you like, in organizational environments. And it's very useful being an observer um, in these things. I think we could, you know, and it's just a view. I don't have any science at my fingertips, but I think we can trace some of the current tensions, if you like. Uh, First of all, to the COVID period, which I think we've all kind of forgotten about in the haste of the world. But I think we saw a few things during the COVID period. One is an element of isolation, particularly with lockdowns. And so a disconnect, if you like, from, from people and from our humanity. And then I think we saw, unfortunately, very manifest in that inquiry, we've seen significant government overreach. <laughs> now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so don't worry, you're not going to hear any strange theories. But we've all seen governments go way and above their mandate in terms of enforcing, uh, often somewhat, uh, in, you know, improvising randomly, trying to deal with this uh, with this illness, and I think unfortunately we've still got a hangover from that, where that authoritarian, sort of fairly dictatorial style of ensuring, you know, our well-being, has been taken on into other forums in politics, and I think that's a very very uncomfortable uh, result, unfortunately. Uh, of the pandemic and the way governments responded.
0: Well, and I guess also just on that, that we did have that moment and that opportunity where the government government bailed everybody out effectively. So there seems to definitely be a very greatly reduced level of accountability and, to, you know, I trip over the gutter and it's the council's fault, not my fault for tripping over the gutter, that sort of thing. So I, I think that is definitely a concern um with the way the world is happening, you know, what we've experienced after COVID, but there also seems to be like this uh, immediate reaction to call for blood when something goes wrong. So, in the case, for example, with Optus or, you know, just using that as an example, what is it that people are just banging for blood straight away instead of, oh, gee, what did you learn out of that and how can you fix it and how can we do better next time?
1: Well, I think you've you- raise a very interesting point in my mind if we assume as as i do and i think you do that the government took a fairly paternal approach to our well-being you know which included you know we, we're going to get locked down for our own safety whether we like it or not hmm. we're going to bail you out um then that parental style for want of a better word i think was pretty manifest the other day i mean it looked like they were talking to a teenager it was like five naki parents or six hmm. talking to a a teenager for having done the wrong thing. And that's absolutely completely wrong. I mean, that is absolutely not fair. You know, you've got a business person who's run a company, there's been missteps, it's a sizable company, it's in infrastructure, which is obviously close to all of our hearts. But that just, it just didn't make sense to me. I was just, I was just, uh, you know, somewhat aghast. So I think that's the first point. And thank you to you, because I hadn't I really processed that. But you know, we're not children. I mean, we're all operational adults. We all understand accountability for our own well-being and those around us. And I just don't think it's helpful, um, you know, to take that approach. But I think um, there are a couple more thoughts sort of um, um sw- swirling around my head in terms of that baying for blood. Uh, and unfortunately, some of those are also not very pleasant, which is, if we certainly go back to, say, the Milgram experiments of the 1960s. Where social psychologists got people in a group environment to exert pain on a, on a subject Mm. way, way over above, overriding their personal values. Well, then I think we've got something to be worried about. My sense is the senators who really, I think, do need to look at the way they, um, they conducted themselves. There was an element of pack mentality in the way they approached things. And if you like, obviously an element of one upmanship. And if you like an element of theatrics, which didn't generate an outcome, you'd have to say it's populist politics, maybe it won a few votes, but frankly, I don't think it did. And you know, there's three or four things to ponder on for this rather unusual situation.
0: Yeah, and, you know, we are talking about, you know, obviously, uh, this whole interview came about because of your LinkedIn post and because of what happened in that inquiry. But really, I mean, if we look at the broader scope of what's happening in organizations and in workplaces, it's happening everywhere. And there, you know, we as humans learn by example. So I guess the question is, who is setting the standards here? If our politicians are not setting the standards and they're meant to be at the top of the tree, or in fact, you know, CEOs or chairs, if they're not setting the standard, where is it are we getting our examples from? And, you know, I guess the the one word that we have to look at here is the sense of bullying. And we're trying to stamp this out with our five-year-olds or 10-year-olds in the school playground. And yet they are watching that and thinking, well, if they can do it, it must be okay, and it becomes uh, almost the norm. So what do we do about that?
1: Well, I think the good news is um, I don't think there's a huge amount of learnings or examples coming out of politics, I'm afraid to say, but out of commerce, we've got some wonderful role models. And as you Absolutely. mentioned, I'm, I'm privileged to be on the Woolworths Market Plus board and the MyDeal board, and you've got a, a retailer like Brad Banducci who totally understands that culture Eat strategy for breakfast, as, as that well-known business sort of, you know, cliche says, which is so true. So, create an environment in a big or small company uh, where people can bring their, their authentic selves to work and, uh, you know, uh, co- get together around a common goal. There's a wonderful example. I've met many of them in, in business in this country. Are they to be respected? I think perhaps our polys, I hate to turn this into a poly bashing session, but they need to learn. From some of those business leaders, because one of the criticisms of politicians, not all of them, is that they don't have a lot of commercial experience. No. Of course, not, not, not all our polis, some of them, you know, Josh Frydenberg uh, is chairman of Goldman Sachs, uh, obviously Malcolm Turnbull, a very successful business person in his own right. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of politicians who just come to the political stream. And I'm not so sure they fully understand how important culture is in organizations, in in their departments, in the country, and that, you know, as leaders, you know, our team, our customers are looking at us and um, are holding us to account in a way that I, I wasn't happy the way Kelly was being held to account because it didn't look like that to me at all.
0: Well, I think that's a really um, an interesting uh, issue that you've brought up, that they don't know what culture is because they haven't experienced it and you do have to learn by example. So here's another question for you and sort of out of left field a little bit. With the Rad Banduchis of the world and the good leaders of the world, is it time now that it, they need to stand up collectively and create some sort of impact about rather than focusing on, for example, the share price being the ultimate goal. Is it looking after our customers, becoming, you know, increasing our humanness within an organization and how we deal with our customers and our staff and creating uh, a different sense of importance rather than kill or be killed, get the commission, get the sale done, or let's talk about being human. And then once we can work that out, then we can be better human beings and achieve those goals
1: we've definitely got a lot of uh thinking in common or we've always got a a lot of very similar thematics going on in our head because as part of my post you know this the kelly conversation i started going back and you know reading up and going back to old textbooks so i studied psychology back in south africa but i also did my mba in 1985 at the stellenbosch business school in cape town and you know i remember a long time ago that you know, the, the, the thinking was coming out of the US, the Chicago Institute of Economics was, was leading the, 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 the brains trust or the, or the thought leadership in commerce. Unfortunately, and the economists like Milton Friedman, unfortunately very reductionist in, in, in nature, very mechanistic in nature, and really enshrining perhaps for the very first time unambiguously that companies exist for one reason only, to enrich their shareholders. And I think we've lost, we've lost, you know, that unfortunately you'd think 30 years later, we would have moved on from that. I think there's still a big hangover from that. And we've seen also closer to home with Qantas where they've chased gains for their shareholders at a huge expense to their customers and their team. And now the shareholders are suffering. Yeah. So in fact, it is counterintuitive, you know, start by being human. Start by looking after your team, your people. And that doesn't mean residing resigning from tough conversations, but there's got to be courtesy, respect, empathy, connection with those. And the rest should come. But this kind of very mechanistic approach um, and very authoritarian in the way it's sort of executed, just not good for, 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 for society really.
0: And given we've seen all the, you know, the psychological studies, the Milgram experience, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, all those things, you know, starting off with a level of sense of belonging where people are, I believe, or I'm hearing that people are not feeling that sense of belonging to whether they're a customer or a shareholder of a company, they're not feeling like they're valued and potentially an organisation, some of the staff aren't feeling like they're valued too. How can we bring back how can we change the narrative around, yes, you've got to look after your share price. Yes, you need to look after your shareholders. But how can we bring back the narrative to say, before we do that, we have to focus on our people. It has to be about the people first and then everything else will fall into place. How do, How is that going to, you're an organizational genius. <laughs> how do we do that? <laughs>
1: Well, I, I wish I had all the answers. And to be fair, you know, this concept of, you know, hell, the first which came out of the 80s and the very rational thinking has been challenged by business leaders. Many of them have said, no, a customer comes first. Hmm. But in more recent times, I have heard, you know, the, the, the hierarchy of needs or hierarchy of business is team first. If you can't sell it on the inside, you ain't going to sell it on the outside. Customer second. Because yep. without your customer, you've got nothing. And shareholders third and, and suck it up. And I think if I'm a shareholder in a company like that, I'm happy because I know I'll get my turn, whether that be a dividend or, or or a growing business. So I think we've turned that around a little bit. Not everyone, not every organization. Uh, some of it, you know, to be fair, might just be lip service as well because ultimately as executives we often feel under the behest of our shareholders. Yes. Uh, and, of course, you know, they are important and they are the – you know, the, the glue, but, you know, to me, shareholders are people too, Less less we forget. Yes. And, you know, I know that if I walk into a coffee shop and I hear the manager being very rude to one of the staff, I'll leave or I'll challenge him. I'll just say, look, this is not a nice environment to be in, you know, and really you should consider another way of getting results. So why shouldn't that be the same in a corporate environment? I you think know, so.
0: And is it you know? it's up to people like you, to the, to the whoever's, to call these things out more and more and more? You know, we've been through all sorts, you know, diversity, inclusion. We've been through all the things in the workplace. It's up to now, I believe, that 2024. Organisations really need to be focusing on the human element of the business and call these out and make it. Make it okay to call out bad behavior because the bad behavior is is becoming endemic and it makes life miserable for so many people. But you know, back to your coffee shop example, do you think that those people in the coffee shops, for example, you know, is that because we're in the midst of a ch- challenging economy? Is it increased stress loads, higher rents, management having to make difficult decisions? Is that happening? Say, like you know, coffee shop management organizations. It seems everywhere in the traffic, people are cranky and stressed.
1: Uh, I think you've called it absolutely correctly. I mean, we don't need to do a a scientific study to appreciate cost of living through the roof. Mm. You know, we're we're feeling the financial stress, which is always difficult. The world is in a very, very crazy and somewhat sad place in terms of the level of friction and the level of, you know, of angst that we're feeling in terms of geographic uh, and cultural and religious divides. Mm. Um, You know, we're finding ourselves in, yeah, in an environment, certainly post COVID, where I think sort of empathy has definitely dialed down a little bit. And we're seeing that manifest in many different ways. I'd also like, uh, unfortunately, have to say, and I'm a retailer for many years, is this is never the easiest time for people. This Christmas, which is meant to be joyous, but of course we do not. I love your tree in the background and <laughs> you know, there's a tree in my house as well. And, you know, I, I, I celebrate, as you say, the diversity of faiths, but um i do feel that people feel stressed that it's they have to buy presents that will continue then to you know increase their commercial stressors and you know you just hope that everyone would find time to breathe and uh, and be themselves which of course back to your point can we bring our authentic selves to work can we we should be well i think we should be able to but it needs leadership to to not only allow us to, but in, in fact, encourage and facilitate. Because I think that's where the best results come from. So whether that's diversity and inclusion, as you said, whether that's just, you know, really having open and frank conversations, of course, aligning around some key objectives to ensure the sustainability of the organization. But we should be comfortable at work, not uncomfortable. And I fear a lot of us are uncomfortable. And my last word of warning to leadership is watch out because the millennials of the Gen Zs are coming and they're not going to suck it up like I did. I sucked it up, you know, I had to pay the mortgage and I did what I had to do. And sometimes I knew I was compromising, you know, my personal values, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what were my personal values, family, you know, well, but I had to be at work seven days a week, you know, so So, what do you do?
0: You mentioned leadership and, you know, from my perspective, I look at, um, you know, leadership comes in all sorts of forms and you definitely don't need a title after your name. So I guess also in organisations we could be addressing the fact that, just because you don't have a title doesn't mean you're not a leader. And to be a leader, you need to be leading by example. So those people who have got the empathy and the kindness, you know, perhaps they can step up a little bit in these areas and become that leader and see where that takes them. You know, I think once we come back to that human emotion and treating people with kindness and understanding and, um, you know, having a moment to literally talk around the water cooler, which we don't seem to have anymore because there's no water coolers because um, everyone's got water bottles, but, you know, there's no water co- So, there doesn't seem to be a lot of time to get to know the person as an individual. So, perhaps that's where the leadership needs to come in as as well, you know, it comes down to the individual.
1: Yes, indeed. A powerful point. And I had a quick um, look at your LinkedIn profile. And I mean, a lot of your work, you, you know, you've got this women's network, and you encourage authentic connection uh, at your networking events, which I think you know, obviously b- very, very um, sensible. You're, of course, an advocate, you know, for women in leadership. And, of course, I don't want to open any up any more chestnuts, but there's some argument that women have a an empathic attunement that is really very special. And uh that doesn't mean they don't get the job done. They sure as hell do. But I think that might – the more women we see in very senior leadership, I think the more humanness, hopefully, we'll see. Um, which, which, hopefully drops down. That doesn't mean that men shouldn't take up the challenge. And I think increasingly there are, I, I have had a few disputes with colleagues over the years, they said, well, Paul, you know, you studied the human sciences, you're kind of lucky, you know, we're lawyers, we're accountants. I don't think that is an excuse to your point. I think people are people and they're people who are yeah. nice and they're people who are not so nice. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what you studied, you could still be human.
0: Exactly. And we are the sum of the five people we spend the most time with. So I guess that's another thing we need to be looking at as well. So Paul, just finishing off and thank you so much. I could talk to you about this all day. It's a very, I'm very passionate about this area and I can see that you are too. So do you think once we never want to turn the dial back or look backwards? I mean, looking back, we can move forward, I suppose, in a better way. Do you think we can, do you think we'll get to that point where we can dial the, dial it back a little bit and increase that empathy and common courtesy within not just the workplace, but media as well. I mean, that's, you know, bad news sells and there's no common courtesy or little common courtesy, I believe, in the media. So, and just in life in general, how do you see that we can actually turn back that clock? Please say yes.
1: <laughs> well, well, the good news is I've got an optimism bias. So I better declare that straight up. So, I do believe, um, you know, we, we 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 we'll move on to better times, and through some of this pain that I think everyone's feeling, you know, we, we can learn. I mean, all the philosophers have said we we grow we grow stro- stronger in times of rupture. Arguably, we need them. So this is not entirely, uh, um, you know, fruitless. I, I think we will come out of this in a in a better place and space. But it is going to require example, and just this conversation here, two people talking, just floating other ways of being. I think will really help with that. And I'd love to see more examples in leadership. I think we are. And I think we need to keep focusing on on those conversations where people are, um, you know, doing the right thing. You know, without sort of closing on a, on a low note, the, the one dissonance that came through in some of the commentary on my post on Kelly was this sort of fairly binary, Paul we completely agree, just no way to speak to a person, versus the, you know, it reminds me when my children were at school when I said, well, I think everyone should get a rivet. And the people say, no, that's nonsense. There's there's only one winner. You're making children soft. I said, well, just give them a little ribbon for participation. And I was considered soft and fuzzy. You know, I I think there is, well, I'll I'll concede there's a place in the middle for, you know, for for more, for more generous listening and, and more kindness. Um, and so I I hope we move away from these binary brackets and, and find, you know, find some, some kindness and some humanity. And I've just
0: thought of one last question. If Of I course.
1: No, no, I'm enjoying oh, the goodness. chat. I could also talk all day. Don't worry about that.
0: <laughs> so if we can do that, and I guess, you know, we can look at organisations as a whole or politics as a whole or media as a whole, but it all comes back to the individual. So as individuals from a psychological perspective, what can we do to... Increase our empathy, increase our kindness, and not take on so much a role of it's all about me. Like, I have a, I love to think that we're here to serve first, and then by serving other people, we benefit as well. But you must serve other people first. But how do we, how do we foster that when we're busy, when we're stressed, when we're paying mortgages, rents are going up? How do we, how do we do that in, as individuals?
1: Well, there's a lovely paradox that I often reflect on. The paradox is that actually, we do need to focus on ourselves, but uh, as William Shakespeare said, above all, know thine self. So I'm a big fan of self-awareness mm-hmm. and spending time just understanding what makes us tick, finding some quiet moments, either in with a trusted friend or in a therapeutic environment, and just really unpacking um, those areas where you just feel there's a dissonance internally. So that old mantra that, you know, you change yourself, you can change the world. So I do think it has to start with us. I find there's a lot of... Um, well, there's a lot of wonderful self-awareness in business, but there's also the opposite. A lot of people are, are not thinking as they, as they barge through. It can be quite blunt, um, you know, the proverbial bull in a china shop. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that if we're a bit more reflective – now, I'm accused of being over, of an overthinker. I guess a little part of me would rather be an overthinker than an underthinker. <laughs> me too. You know, I'd ra- yeah, I'd rather not bluster in. So, yeah, perhaps I am a little bit too reflective. But, uh, you know, I'd love us all to be spending a little bit more time our inner journeys, knowing what makes us tick, you know, reflecting on things that haven't worked for us and and situations where we felt very uncomfortable. And if we process those, I think we manifest out and um, things. the world will be a better place for it. So that's my hope.
0: Oh, Paul, you're speaking my language. I just think it's fantastic. And we need to get you on the street corner and talking to the world about this. It's like we've got to, got to share this information and it's awareness, isn't it? We've got to share the information. So it is awareness from, from, you know, the educated like you and the experienced like you. So thank you so much for joining us. I just, I'm so grateful to hear your insights into that and, and really, really grateful for your time today. So thank you. So Paul, if people want to get in contact with you, where can they find you?
1: Well, um, if if I'm allowed to give a little bit of a shout out, it actually won't be for me. A lot of, uh, over the last decade, a lot of my, you know, insights, and by the way, I'm not preaching from the mount. I have my moments. I'm in business. I'm on some fairly tricky boards at the moment. I'm trying to navigate some very complex situations. I don't always like myself at the end of a long day, but I am reflecting on myself, which is better than not. Um, I would like to pay a little bit of a uh, homage, a tribute to the uh, leadership at Nora, specifically Katie Derrett, who runs the National Online Retailers Association, and Adele Greenberg, if that surname is familiar, it probably should be because she's my I partner, did. but she's on the board of Nora, you know, appointed independently. Uh, Katie and, and, and Adele as two very, very competent, capable leaders have really tuned me over the last years into the important conversations, particularly around empathy, diversity, and inclusion, they're obviously doing a massive amount of work in sustainability, mm-hmm. which all these, you know, all these thematics lead to better outcomes uh, right across, you know, all our ways of being and our, yeah, our life and work practices. So I would encourage anyone who wants to carry on the conversation. You just go to nora.org.au, we're at .org, nora.org.au, and, and drop Katie and Adele a line. I know they'd love to hear from you. Um, they do wonderful events. Um, So perhaps there's a conversation between you and Adele and Katie, particularly around the women's group that, you know, there's been such a big part of your life. Um, that would be great. For me, pop me a note on LinkedIn. That's how you and I met, Libby, which was great. And I do, you know, I'm not great with my LinkedIn follow-ups, but I'm trying to do better. And I Gee, think it's you a great were fantastic.
0: Platform. You were great. So I will connect. I'll put all that information on the um, show notes in the podcast, which was fantastic. And Paul, thank you once again for joining us today.
1: Such a pleasure, Libby. Keep in touch.
0: we Will do. Thanks for listening to Leading with Style. I'm passionate about supporting women radiate confidence, presence, and magnetism through the fabulousness of fashion. Jump on over to the website to see how we can work together through one-on-one styling sessions, virtual styling sessions and corporate style workshops. And while you're there, don't forget to download your free Seasonal Capsule Wardrobe Guide and discover how you can create over 30 looks with just 10 items.